podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. The last episode before the World Cup break, a sentence that doesn't get any less weird to say. With the Reds looking to build upon their win against Spurs and head off into the World Cup break on a high note, Klopp's side welcomes Southampton to Anfield on Saturday as new manager Nathan Jones looks to rebuild a beleaguered Saints side over the next few months. Joining me on the pod this week to share his views on what we can expect from Jones, the departure of Hassan Hootel, and also what we can expect from this youthful Southampton squad both this weekend and beyond, I'm delighted to welcome back sports journalist at Reach, Dan Hargraves. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks for having me. No, it's good to catch up again. I mean, I, I wish that when we when we caught up, it wasn't uh, as miserable as this, to be honest, because I think every the, the last few times I've spoken to you, you, you sort of painted quite a, um, yeah, quite, a, I'd say, sort of quite a despondent figure at times, you know, given some of the situation at the club and some of the the lack of investment, pl- plenty of sort of issues that we all will talk about today, no doubt that we've that we've discussed in the past. But sort of this time, obviously, when you join us, it's it's after you know, Southampton have actually you know, sacked Ra- Ralph Hasenhutel. Um, yeah, feels like he's been at the club forever. Actually, at this stage, obviously appointed in December 2018, um, but was sacked after uh, the 4-1 uh, home defeat by Newcastle. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, I mean, before we get on to sort of his replacement and sort of the myriad of issues as to why this happened. I mean, what was your what was your immediate reaction to you know the fact that Hasan Hutel was finally shown the door? Yeah, I think I think it's been a long time coming. Um, to be honest, I think the board were definitely planning to do it over the World Cup. There, there, there was no doubt that he wouldn't be manager after the World Cup. I think for and that's been the case for for a good few weeks now. But I think there was a little bit of surprise that um, firstly the board acted quickly that the Newcastle game just wasn't good enough and it proved to be the final nail in the coffin. They didn't wait the extra game or two games with the Carabao Cup until the World Cup to kind of see him the door, show him the door. But also the fact that they've gotten the replacement in so swiftly. I think everyone expected Ralph to kind of be get shown the door in uh, in the World Cup break and then they take that break to uh, to find the perfect manager. But now it actually looks like, which in hindsight looks sensible, is that they've gone and gotten the manager beforehand. Okay, he's going to have one game at Liverpool before, but now he's actually going to have that whole break to work with his squad. And it's going to be the vast majority of the squad at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. Only one of our senior players have been called up uh, to go to the World Cup. So he's going to have, by and large, every single player available to him now to work with over the World Cup. So in hindsight, it seems like the board have made have done it in the proper way. But yeah, no surprises. 
Yeah, that was also slightly querying why it happened in that way in terms of the fact that, of course, it did feel like that even sort of sacking Hasenhutl during the World Cup would easily have sort of made sense as well. And it doesn't really make a, a massive amount of difference sort of sacking with these uh, final couple, couple of games before the World Cup necessarily. But as you say there, I mean, the does appear to have been pretty coordinated sort of an effort on their half and um, on their behalf, certainly with sort of the replacement coming in and Nathan Jones. But just in terms of how we've gotten here, I know we've spoken in the past around some of the issues you felt you had around Hassan Hüttel being perhaps a little bit inflexible, um, Hassan Hüttel's policy around pursuing uh, players below a certain age and, and perhaps you know, too many of them and, and expecting too much from them in a league like the Premier League. But then also, you, we, we've spoken as well about the the, the comparative sort of underinvestment um, in the club in terms of, sort of the money that's been spent in the transfer windows are just really not not the sufficient quality being provided to actually sort of really give the manager a chance as well. I mean, I've, I've named I've named a couple of points there. Maybe I'm wrong on a few of them. Let me know. But w- what were the reasons that you think have, have have led to this stage where it feels like the long term strategy that the club had has gone off the rails um if it, it definitely felt like he'd lost the dressing room Hazen at all it definitely felt like from from numerous reports that kind of, that kind of come out a lot of senior players kind of haven't been mm-hmm. happy with him for a while now it kind of i think there's a there was an expectation amongst the fan base that he was going to get the sack at the end of last season or at the end of last season would have been a good time you know, they went on an awful run in the final final couple months of the season. Um, but yeah. obviously that didn't happen. Instead, what happened was uh, the board sacked um, <laughs> Ralph's, um, Ralph's backroom staff and opted to get new coaches and have a rejig of backroom staff before making the ultimate decision of booting Ralph. You know, they kind of felt that he hadn't had the right people come in um, to support him. And so, uh, and so they backed him through the summer. And, you know, that was the other thing that happened. It was kind of a big summer in terms of recruitment. Ten new players came in, about £80 million spent. Most of those players around the age of 20 or younger. So it was, it's a clear philosophy. It's a clear identity of what Sport Republic, the, the new owner, well, I say new ownership, they were about to come into their first year or their first anniversary but it was their first summer transfer window as owners of Southampton and it's it's very clear what they want to get out of the players that they bring into uh into the club so that was that was exciting you know and especially the fact that you know we didn't really sell any major players you know James Will Prowse stayed okay there was a bit of um you know a, a good few did leave in the end players who had played in the first team or remain obviously a big part of that but he wanted a new challenge and Valerie's gone a lot of you know a lot of it was you know not being disrespectful but a lot of it was Deadwood so there was a you know massive massive summer when it came to recruitment and kind of changing up the squad but the problem was Ralph was already under pressure going into the season a lot of fans weren't happy you know they felt like as you say inflexible tactics um you know not very motivating just lose you know not having as much passion um, as he used to. Like it, he just looked like a dead man walking for a long time. Um, but you know, everyone gave him a chance, given the fact that he now had a new squad to work with. And by and large, everyone was really happy with the recruitment. The main issue was that the board didn't manage to get 
a proper striker in. You know, there was that chase for Cody Gakpo that was well documented by the Athletics towards the end of the transfer window in the end. You know, he opted to step PSV and you look at it now and it's like, oh, you know, what a player we could have had. Um, so the major the major issue was no striker. So that's been an issue. You know, that's going to be an issue for Nathan Jones. You know, that, that was a, a real disappointment and obviously not Ralph's fault. But ultimately, the team that he has got, he hasn't been able to find a winning formula. He's not been able to find the right tactics, the right way to put the team together to go and get results. There have been some god-awful performances already this season and three wins after, what, 15, 16 games. I'm not too sure how many we've played yet. Um, it just it just isn't enough. And you, it, it goes into last season as well. I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but the, the lack of wins over a pretty long period of time now is kind of what, uh, what cost him his job. Yeah, it was one win in the last 12 Premier League games, I think it was, uh, to sort of end the season. I mean, and then, yeah, combining that with the way in which you started this season, as you mentioned there as well, um, just the, just the three wins so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it did seem as well, I, mean, I think you can tell with managers like Hassan Hitzel as well, when they, when they have been drained of that passion that they sort of showed when they arrived as well. And, and as you mentioned, the, the dressing room has turned as well. A lot of their actual sort of, some of the biggest skills they had as coaches, I mean, that all diminished at that stage. I, I sort of want to ask, which before we move on from Hassan Hutal, if you had to look back at his time at the club, what was the highest point for you and what was the, the lowest point? I think the lowest point is a couple that you could mention, I'm sure. But um, yeah, what was the highest and the, and the lowest? I think for me, the best game under... There are a couple. You know, I, I could go... Going top of the Premier League, that was a big deal. I mean, that was also because it was early stages in the season, you know, beating Liverpool. But for me, I think, and it's kind of been reported that the uh, the clubs kind of feel the same way, the best performance in terms of exactly what you want from a Ralph Hasenhutl team against top opposition was the 3-2 win away at Tottenham last season. That was probably everyone's favourite, or, uh, you know, a lot of people's favourite game of the Ralph Hasenhutl tenure, which is ironic because obviously it's coming a season, you know, where we we finished fifteenth. You know, it wasn't anything particularly inspiring, and that game kind of came right before the uh, the start of that awful end to the season. But yeah, the three two win away at Spurs is my personal favourite, given how it was just the perfect performance in terms of what you'd expect from a Ralph Hasenhutl side. And then the lowest point. I think you could probably say the first night. I think the first nine nil against Leicester. I think that was probably the lowest point. I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been some big defeats um, in terms of losing to sides near us. I remember soon after that defeat, we lost at home to Everton, and that felt pretty, uh, pretty disappointing. And you know, because they'd been god awful all season for the entirety of that season by that point. But yeah, I think. The first 9-0, because it was such a shell shock because the team already were struggling and it, it did feel like it was the end for Hazen Hutto. Obviously, he turned it around, but in that moment in time, I think I think you have to look at that. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. 
from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Absolutely. And in terms of moving on from Hatton Hootal, then actually on to sort of the, the, the new manager, Nathan Jones. Uh, you mentioned sort of being, I mean, maybe pleasantly surprised by sort of the speed at which the appointment was made. Um, but uh, in terms of sort of the, the actual profile of the manager that you've gone with in this situation, I mean, what's your what's your opinion on Nathan Jones and how, how do you think it's gone down amongst the fan base? Um, he definitely he definitely fits the profile. He definitely fits the profile and fairness to him in terms of uh, he's got a repertoire for developing and working with young, hungry players. He isn't a sexy name. That, that, that's, that, that, that's, the, um, that's the negative for him. He won't be fussed by that, obviously, but it's not, a, uh, it's not a household name. It's not on paper an exciting appointment. I think when, the, when his name first got mentioned, you know, it's been a whirlwind week, really. You know, when, uh, when you look at some of the managers that have been sacked in the Premier League so far this season, particularly Wolves, the amount of names that were kind of linked with that job, and, you know, the whole process of that, it was literally Ralph's out. And then soon after, Nathan Jones is their first choice. And then we've gone for Nathan Jones and he's accepted the proposal and everything. You know, he was the only name that was mentioned, which is kind of strange nowadays. You know, you would have thought you'd see a few more names linked. But so it's clear that he was the first choice. He definitely fits the profile. But like I said, when you're going for Luton Town's manager. Don't get me wrong, he's done a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant job at Luton Town. But on paper, it's not the most inspiring appointment. But for me, look, I'm happy that we've gone for a British coach. You know, a lot of people are saying young. I don't think you can class 49 as young anymore. But a uh, British yeah. coach, um, his stock will only rise. Um, and yeah, they, they, they're two, there are two sides of the coin. You know, you can look at him for his time at Stoke when he did go to a, a club that was set up to be a Premier League outfit, obviously, in the Championship. I think it was six wins in 30-odd games there. It was a, it was a major disappointment. Um, but then you can also make the argument that a lot of managers have gone to Stoke and failed. And he even said that in his press conference today. You know, he, he kind of alluded to that. And then you look at the Luton Town side, two stints there. Numerous promotions, basically, in his words, taking a side with a bottom three budget in the championship to finishing sixth in the uh, in the championship last year and getting into the playoffs. And to be fair, they probably should have got into the final in the grand scheme of things based on their performances against Huddersfield Town. They just fell short slightly. So he's worked wonders of that football club. And on paper, I think once... He's had time to work with the squad, and once we start seeing some results, fans will get behind him. Don't get me wrong; he said the, you know, the fans will be behind him. The fans will support him. Don't like, regardless of the fact that it's uninspiring, the supporters know that they have to get behind this manager, otherwise he's got no hope. But I think everyone's quite pleased that he's got this World Cup break to work with this squad. It's almost like a mini pre-season, if you like, 
um, that he's got time to work with his squad, implement his ideas. They're not too dissimilar to Ralph Hasen Hotels in the sense that, you know, front-footed um, attacking football where we can, where we can play it. Um, I was going to say, so, actually, uh, yeah, in terms of, sort of what we should expect from him, in terms of sort of the style he's looking to implement. I mean, what what do you know of that? What have you seen? So, so he mentioned sort of his, his success at um, Luton Town, but in terms of sort of the, the style of football he'd be, he'd be looking to implement with this group of players. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not a hundred percent sure what he's going to do formation-wise because, of course, he's going to have to he's going to have to adjust to the Premier League. But from what I've kind of understood, he's um, familiar with using a back three, back five, whatever you want to call it. You know, the three centre backs and and two wing backs. Um, but what was interesting to me was that his side, I believe, this season. Uh, near the bottom when it comes to uh, the possession table, you know, I think 44% possession Luton Town have been averaging in the championship this season. So, that, you know, that's that's going to be interesting when it comes to the Premier League, obviously, because he's going to be playing more sides who will, who will be keeping the ball, you know, better, he'll be coming up against better opposition, you know, Luton um, have had a decent start to the season anyways, you know, they're, they're going to be pushing um, for the playoffs again, I would presume, but still they're keeping... 44% of the ball on average. So it'll be interesting to see how he how he kind of implements that into his Southampton team. But from his words, front footed, um, you know, he wants to instill uh, a, t- a philosophy. He wants his players to literally, you know, metaphorically die for him on the pitch, which I think a lot of players do need to kind of kick up the backside. So that's going to be, that's going to be a positive. Um, and other things I've read is that kind of in the lower divisions, Luton would be known for not only winning games by small margins, particularly when they got promoted from League Two, but they'd go and batter teams and they completely outpassed them. So as he's risen up the ranks, he would have had to adjust his tactics and obviously he's going to have to do that for the Premier League. But I think we're going to expect to see a side that wants to be on the front foot, that does want to be competitive, um, that will know when they need to sit back um, when they're kind of weathering the storm. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to think it's going to be a side that can be flexible and, you know, that that wants to entertain ultimately whilst also getting points on the board. I was going to say, obviously, sort of the having a philosophy and implementing it and actually seeing results early on is going to be obviously very important for him. I think no, no doubt it's going to take some time for him to actually implement his style as well. One thing we did sort of gloss over before we got, sort of go back to Jones in a bit, in a little bit, maybe talk about his press conference and how you, how you thought he carried himself was, just you mentioned sort of the fan base being quite happy with the transfer business that the club had done uh, done prior to the season. You just want to perhaps talk through some of those some of those signings and, and which of them so far you think have actually made the the greatest impression. I think um, I, I think Romeo Lavia as you know as, he hasn't as played as much because mm. he's had a hamstring injury, but I think everyone's most surprised. With Romeo Lavia, he had he looked the real deal, and he's eighteen. He's the years youngest old, of the bunch. I was going to say, yeah, looking at them, yeah. He's the um, he's the youngest of the bunch, like you say, and already loads of reports have kind of come out that Ralph Hasenhutl had already kind of decided that he was going to have to build his team around Lavia because he's you know he's the only player that can kind of spot that pass to break the lines, um, from from deep. But yeah, he's been he's he's been sensational. You know, okay, that's based on kind of five games in the Premier League, but um, how mature he already looks, you know, 
obviously got his goal against Chelsea and it's going to be a real bonus having him back now. Um, Armel uh, Belakotchap, the defender, he's, uh, he's been pleasantly, he, he, he has pleasantly surprised everyone. I think no one kind of knew what to expect in that sense because it was clear that a new centre-back was needed to partner Mohamed Salasu, but no one kind of thought that when we spent kind of around £10 million on a 20-year-old centre-back from Bochum in the, in the Bundesliga and the kind of lower stretches of the Bundesliga, that he would be the man to be first choice. But ultimately, he has been and he's been brilliant and he's now got himself in the senior Germany squad for the World Cup. So he's he's impressed there. Um, you know, it looks really colossal, reads the game really well. Um, and uh, I believe he's now, f- yeah, he will be fit for for Saturday. He played against Newcastle, so yeah, nice to have him back in the uh, back in the fold before the World Cup. But yeah, I think those two have been the ones that everyone would say have impressed the most in terms of they were unknowns and they've exceeded expectations massively. Joe Rebo. Um, has been really good as well. I think a lot of people would put him in, in up there. He's uh, he, he definitely needs to find a system, or a system needs to be found. I should say that kind of really complements his ability. You know, he says himself that he's best kind of centrally behind the striker or on the right behind the striker um, as a kind of wide ten. So there's clearly plenty of ability there on the ball. He's fantastic, really good dribbling, close control. We just need to find a system that really suits him um because we could have a real gem there and in terms of i mean i fully appreciate it's been a very difficult start to the season already but in terms of sort of there the, the being bright bright points or bright moments or I- individual performances like you've sort of been talking about with some of the new signings that you can that you can point to that you think um have shown sort of signs of promise and sort of where the side could be heading were there any at all or, or do you think it's, it's needed this it's needed this clean break in order to sort of build no i i think it, it's been it's been frustrating because there have been a few performances where you've been a bit like okay this this team's on to something i think the win against chelsea was a really good example of what hazard wants from his side you know how we could set up with these new players obviously it was very competitive chelsea were poor on the day don't get me wrong but we were brilliant. Um, so I think there was a bit of frustration that we we didn't ever really look like building from that, you know, because that was the fifth game of the season. We'd already beaten Leicester as well. So two wins from five and a draw as well with two defeats. You know, all performances bar the opening day against Spurs were pretty decent. So I think it's just been real, really disappointing that they haven't built from that. Um, but like I say, there, there are individual signs of brilliance. It's just a case of, which is now Nathan Jones's job over the World Cup break, working out how you piece those bits of brilliance together. Because don't get me wrong, there is huge, huge, huge potential with this side. Um, but it's a case of finding the winning formula, find, finding a formula that's going to ultimately keep that winning, uh, that team with individual brilliance in the Premier League, because that is going to be his job now. You know, there's, <laughs> there's no point having all these brilliant players that have massive potential if they're going to end up in the championship. You know, they're, they're all going to be, want to be Premier League players going on to bigger things eventually. You know, that's Southampton's model. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one or two particular moments, but I'd have to say that Chelsea performance is probably the best indicator of what 
we were trying to be, uh, build. And in terms of sort of the the biggest tasks that are facing Jones um, now that he's in through the door, obviously, he, as you mentioned, he's going to have that World Cup, he's going to have that time to work with the players. You mentioned earlier on you know, solving, you know, identifying a more consistent sort of goal threat. You know, the goal scoring issues we've discussed on previous pods as well is, is had been one of the main things that sort of Hasenhutter was struggling with as well. And perhaps one of the downsides to the, the transfer window that, that there wasn't a more recognised, proven goal scorer that was brought in. But aside from that as well, I mean, what do you what do you view as sort of the biggest uh, problems that Jones is, is going to be trying to tackle as soon as possible? No, you, it, you're spot on. It's going to be goal scoring. You know, he's he's firstly got to adapt his style of football to the Premier League. You know, it's more intense, much better teams than the Championship. You know, with no disrespect. You know, much better players that he's going to be working with and playing against than what he had at Luton Town and what he came up against with as Luton Town manager. But he's come into a side that haven't been scoring many goals and have kept one clean sheet all season. So he's going to need to find that balance pretty quickly. You know, he said in his press conference today, you know, they're going to have to make small baby steps, but, you know, they're going to have to make those steps quickly. So I think for me, first priority will probably be you know, maybe not the goal scoring. Maybe it is going to be more about clean sheets because obviously you get a clean sheet, you, you, you've got a good chance of winning the football match. Um, but soon after that, he's going to have to find a way to kind of get the best out of his strikers. Shea Adams in particular, you know, he's without a doubt our best striker now, but he hasn't been hitting the heights massively this season. I think he's got three Premier League goals um, this term. So... Yeah, it, it's a case of you know plugging the plugging the gaps at the back, but also finding a way to kind of complement the abilities of of Shea. I think he's going to have to build his team around Shea. You know, I think he's got he's got two games after the World Cup break in the league before the January transfer window, and then once January opens, I, he's going to have to go for a striker. Like that, there's absolutely no doubt that the board are going to have to back him in that um, in that area. Because other, otherwise, right now we're we're looking at it, and you can't really see a much of of a goal threat. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff; we've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on eplindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week so make sure you listen to everything we're doing on epl index and follow us there on twitter at epl index thank you bye-bye no exactly and it doesn't really matter what you implement if the uh if the goals aren't going in that's going to be sort of the be all end all for him especially with a sort of a manager trying to acclimatize to a to a new league as you as you say and sort of get his methods adjusted to that new league as well somebody who's who's going to give you a goal uh, one every two games or, or however often, um, it's going to be a massive saving grace. In, in terms of the, 
first press conference. I know this is all very fresh, so um, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you've not had too much time to sort of um, you know get up to speed on on Jones and sort of understand a little bit more about him. But how, how do you think he carried himself in that first press conference? Was there anything that sort of stood out to you? Yeah, I, I thought he carried himself really well. I thought he was charismatic. Um, you know, he's. I like the fact that he um, he's got family who uh, who supports Southampton. You know, so he's already kind of got that link to the club. Um, you know, he made a few jokes. He f- f- admitted, you know, what he needs to what he needs to do. That's a you know big task. He he was also very um, full of praise for Luton, which I thought was a nice touch. You know, obviously a football club that's done a lot for him. He constantly mentioned Luton and praised them and admitted like how difficult it was to make the decision to leave, but it had to be the right. Know, the, the absolutely right project, which obviously Southampton is for in in his eyes. So I think he carried himself really well. Um, it's now just a case of you know implementing that on the pitch. You know he can talk the talk, that's great. But now we need to see see his players kind of come together and get results. No one is expecting anything from Saturday. You know he's 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 come in at a pretty difficult time, in the sense of he's hardly had any time to implement his methods or style you know given the fact that there was a cup game on Wednesday night so Thursday was a recovery day Friday you know he'll just go over tactics I would assume and then they'll travel to Liverpool Friday night so yeah he's carried himself very he came across very well um in the press conference but again it's it's going to be kind of a work in progress for him and I think we're going to get to learn a lot more about him after the World Cup break yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that it, you know, it's still regarded as a, as a tough start for him, obviously. Um, I, I mean, I'm not, not sure how much you've seen of Liverpool this season, but in terms of sort of, I mean, how you think he would be looking to approach that game, given the fact that it is, it is almost, I suppose, somewhat of a free hit, for example, considering how, how fresh he is, um, in the job. How, how do you think he's going to be looking to, to approach a game like that? Especially considering that you know Liverpool have shown frailties this season, and we are now just one game away from the World Cup. So perhaps some players are already focused on you know making sure that they don't get injured in in this ninety minutes, um, and already have one eye on the World Cup. Yeah, he in, it's, it's an interesting point because because uh, Nathan Jones was asked that in his press conference that you know surely some players are going to have. Um, an eye on the World Cup and not want to get injured and therefore play kind of at 60% as, a, as opposed to 100%. But, you know, he, he said that wouldn't be, you know, you, you cannot expect to come, a, come up against players who are going to have that mentality. We'll just have to see on the day. But, yeah, I think um, he'll be well aware of their, their struggles this season. You know, obviously he didn't allude to that. Um, he, he was full of, uh, full of, praise for Klopp and Liverpool and obviously you know <laughs> to to come into the Premier League as a as a new manager having Liverpool away as your first game is a pretty uh it, it will definitely be exciting it's you know it's a great challenge to to start off with but um no I think I think don't get me wrong he'll be well aware of their frailties and you know their struggles this season and I'm sure he'll mention that when when addressing his players kind of behind the scenes um, but I think for me personally, I haven't really spoken to any other Saints fans what they're expecting. But for me, you know, I'm going up to Anfield on Saturday, and I'm kind of expecting just a team to sit back. I'm not really expecting much in terms of um, 
you know, seeing a completely different team that is a completely, you know, Nathan Jones side, you know, that, that is the epitome of what a Nathan Jones football team should look like and, pl- and how they should play. You know, he's had no time. So I feel like if it was me, I'd be thinking, you know, do the basics right, you know, stamp that out, make sure that your players are doing the basics right, bare minimum. And potentially he'll go for a defensive approach, you know, it's Liverpool away, you know, manage the crowd, kind of ride the storm early on. I feel like if he can get in to half time still in the game, whether that be level or even potentially a goal up, who knows, then he would have done pretty well and, you know, he'll manage it that way. But I think if he's thinking about getting any sort of result from Anfield tomorrow, um, he'll be thinking, you know, we're going to have to take a bit more of a defensive approach because if we try and play how he's got his Luton Town team to play, we'll get absolutely crushed. And it's an interesting time to ask this question, obviously, with a new manager coming through the door and there being quite a lot of, you know, sort of possibility about what he can do with this side, sort of how he can maybe you know, be a fresh start for a lot of these players and sort of reinvigorate the club. But, I mean, what do you think, where do you think, uh, um, I mean, where are your own expectations for the rest of the season? And sort of what, uh, where do you reckon the fan base is in terms of, sort of what they're expecting from him for the remainder of the season? I think, I, I don't know. This is This is a hard one because it's a case of how well he starts. I think, it's going to be really interesting to see how they start the post-World Cup period because there's the whole kind of cliche of having the new manager bounce. Um, and in fairness to him, he's actually got some pretty winnable fixtures um, on paper post-World Cup break. I think he's got Brighton at home, Fulham away, Forest at home, Everton away, Villa at home, Brentford away, Wolves at home. I'm just looking now. So that's a really good run for a team that will know his tactics pretty well by then. So I think it completely depends on how that first chunk goes. If it's a case of one or two defeat, uh, sorry, one or two victories, then yeah, I think we'll be talking about a season where everyone only cares about survival. But if he makes a really good start, then I think people will be thinking, okay, let's actually try and push up the table. No one's expecting the top half. Um, I think, you know, I've said this numerous times this season. I feel like this is the most competitive the Premier League's ever been. Um, but I feel like if if he, if he can get the team to finish higher than 15th, he's done well or he's done better than his predecessor for the last two seasons. So that's, that's something and it's something to build from. But it completely depends on how those first kind of, I would say, six games of the post-World Cup period go because it will give us a real insight of how much he's been able to get across to his players and uh, how much they're kind of buying into it because it is going to be a case of either a relegation battle or kind of trying to finish comfortably mid-table. Um, there mm. is going to be nothing more than that, I think. And you think in spite of, sort of however well he does to sort of integrate his own methods, you think sort of that signing of a uh, another attacking option in January is going to be essential? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that is it. There is absolutely no way, you know, as much as I kind of back Shea Adams and want Shea Adams to do well, um, there is absolutely no way that Nathan Jones is going to raise a magical wand and turn him into a 20-goal striker. Um, they're going to absolutely need support. And that's not necessarily you know, someone who will completely take all the other strikers out of the side. That's just someone to support. It's another goal um, source. It's, a, it's an alternative. Um, you know, I, I do think Shea Adams was one of the players 
that was particularly keen to see the uh, the end of the Ralph Hasenhüttl tenure. I feel like he was uh, one of the players that uh, that that wasn't too uh, keen towards the end. So we'll have to see. Maybe that was affecting his performances slightly. Um, but yeah, I'd like to think that for the next couple of games, Nathan Jones will be able to get you know a lot out of Shea. But one hundred percent, they need to go for a striker in the uh, in the window. They need they need an alternative source of goals, and then you know they're going to have to throw money at whoever it is that they go for, because you know it's an inflated market in January, as we all know, and the kind of ten fifteen million that they were spending on individual players through the summer that's not going to be enough for a striker that we uh, that we need to uh, keep us in the division. And one final question before I do let you go is, yeah, we're about to embark on on this uh, this sort of strange and still surreal uh, World Cup in the in the winter. Um, just a couple of questions: Will you be watching? And also, who do you think, um, if you are going to be watching, uh, who, who, who's your dark horse? Who are you rooting for? I I, I will definitely be watching the World Cup. No doubt about okay. it. You know, there's. It's on. It's it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting in the sense of it being kind of in this mid-season period. But no, 100%. I'm I'm starting to feel the fever. It's it's, it's taken a while. It's taken a bit longer than usual. But um, I'm starting to get my World Cup fever now, and I definitely will after this weekend when uh, when we're kind of looking forward to it. In terms of dark horses, I mean, I, you know, Gareth Southgate said it in an interview um, that I saw a couple of days ago he said kind of eight nine maybe even ten teams realistically could win it and England are in that bracket I completely agree I think it's really competitive um in terms in terms of a dark horse um I think you probably look at kind of the Netherlands uh, but the thing is you say dark horse and it's like there are realistically nine or ten teams that genuinely could go and win it so I think Netherlands are definitely in that category England will be in that category I don't expect much as kind of a pessimistic England fan. Um, I think Spain have an exciting squad. I think Germany, as as you'd expect, for me, Brazil are the favourites, as the bookies have kind of said. They're kind of right. my go-to. Um, Argentina, there's an interesting narrative, you know, with it probably being Messi's last World Cup. Portugal are always great in the tournaments, so we'll have, we'll have to see. But yeah, I think it's going to be a really exciting World Cup because I do think it could be incredibly competitive. Yeah, so it's, it's it's a weird one for me. I mean, I think I. I will, I will no doubt watch these games, but, um, I don't know. I've just, I've, I've just struggled to get the fever in the same way, I think. I mean, maybe, maybe I will because you, I, I mean, you mentioned that there, I mean, even, even amidst all sort of the controversy around the, 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 the World Cup being awarded to Qatar and everything to do with sort of the, sort of the human rights abuses around the, the you know, Microsoft built the stadiums and things like that. Um, I, th- I think, I mean, yes, I, I wouldn't be surprised until it's all smoothed over. Well, certainly it is the commentary around all these narratives that you mentioned there. Um, you know, Messi's the last World Cup, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and I, I did, I did enjoy, I have to admit, I did enjoy Louis Van Hart earlier on just saying that he fully, you know, he, he thinks his side, his side will win the World Cup. He knows people don't like to say that usually, but he thinks he can do it. Uh, he often just looks at his boys in awe. Like, I think I really enjoy something about how earnest that was as well. So I think, um, yeah, the, the Netherlands for me might be a little bit of a dark horse. It'd be interesting to see how they how they perform. But your Brazil, yeah, it does seem as though they're going to be overwhelming favourites going into it. But anyway, Dan, I mean, thanks thanks so much for coming on and just you know, giving us your view on the 
situation at Southampton, the change at Southampton for the first time, obviously now in four years in terms of, sort of managerial position, um, and just yeah, what you're looking forward to to seeing from uh, from Nathan Jones. So thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Appreciate it, and uh, all those who sort of been listening to you know, Rival Recon here on um, on Anfield Next Pro will know that there's about to be a break, as we discussed there with the World Cup um, coming following this game. Um, but uh, yeah, I think throughout the World Cup there'll be there'll be additional podcasts across the channel. Uh, I'm sure we'll 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 suss out all the different narratives that uh, emerge throughout the tournament, whether it's dis- discussing off-field or on-field issues. Uh, so, so do sort of pay attention for those pods that will be coming out throughout the tournament. But uh, we'll be back again with another episode of Rival Recon once the World Cup finishes and Premier League action returns, which I believe is you know, just on Boxing Day or something like that, which is, yeah, that'll be even more eventful, I'm sure. Um, so do uh, do stay tuned for those when they, when they return. Uh, but between now and then, as I said, all those uh, pods around the World Cup. But uh, between now and then, hope you enjoy that tournament. And yeah, we'll be back again uh, just after Christmas. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.